the Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober. I'm Alex, one half of Be Sober. And I'm Lisa, the other half. If you're new to our podcast, Lisa and I have been best friends since high school. And after many years of getting drunk together pretty much every weekend, we've decided to experiment with being sober together. We really haven't got time to tell you all about that now, but if you go right back to the beginning of our podcast series, you'll find out all about it there. This season, we're super excited to be working with Wise Bartender and can't wait to sample and, of course, tell you about their 450 plus alcohol-free drinks. So whether you're after some alcohol-free beers, ciders, wines, cocktails or spirits, then check them out. We absolutely love that they're a growing family business. They've got a fantastic ethos around making sure quality alcohol-free drinks are accessible for absolutely everyone. As well as having alcohol-free equivalents, they also have an amazing range of kombuchas and sodas, along with a number of curated packs. Shop the range at wisebartender.co.uk and get 5% off with our code BESOBER5. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I was just wondering, um, I've never asked you this before and we've never done one together, but have you ever actually done a dry January? No, I never got past... being fully sober, I mean, like, back in the day. No, I never got past the fifth. Did you, you like, say you were going to do it? Yeah, but I knew even when I was saying it that I wouldn't. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I'd kind of go, oh, I'm going to do dry January and everyone has got. <laughs> I, I remember like when I was younger, I definitely don't think I'd have had a problem with doing dry January. And I'm not saying if anyone's listening, you've got a problem if you can't do it. I'm not saying that. But I don't think I'd have had a like genuine problem with it. But like the last one that I went to do, I remember doing with my ex and um, a few friends at the time was like, yeah, we'll all do dry January. Now, my ex, as I've spoken about, was is an alcoholic and we went out for something to eat. It was his birthday around the middle of January. And but I was like, you know what? I've had enough of dry January. I'm going to have a glass of wine. And I really kind of sold it to myself in the fact that he needed to stop in January. Yeah. He was an alcoholic, but I didn't. So I was all right to have a glass of wine. And I remember drinking it. We'd gone out for a meal and I was drinking it and fully thinking, like, be a little bit arrogant in a way. Like, yeah. I'm all right to drink because I definitely do not need to stop I honestly thought dry Januarys were for people who like similar to you who needed to take a break so and I didn't think I needed to take a break and also I used to convince myself that I didn't want to take a break which I didn't want to I didn't want to to be fair at the time life's too short why would you take a break yeah god (laughs) YOLO (laughs) I hate that saying I just want you to know that I do not use that ever and I never have Um, I'm surprised I'm not the type of person to have had that tattooed somewhere when it came out (laughs) when you were drunk yeah on my back (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about today's guest, right? We're, we're going to kind of, we've had, we've had Claire Pooley on before, right? We've had her on our podcast. Was it season one? Oh, it was season one. And I just want to say, right, I was so ridiculously nervous and in awe of her because 
The Sober Diaries, as you know, was my favourite, favourite book. I loved it. I loved how she wrote. I could not believe that we had the person that had read this book on our podcast. I know, I know. I, I was I'm kind of both nervous by... it, it didn't float from our perspective. She did an amazing job. But from our perspective, I remember we were sat in your front room recording it. I was so it. scared. And, and we weren't relaxed into it. So I really hope that we do her a lot more justice today. No, I know right I believe I'm convinced that you will right but I am still absolutely shitting myself that she's going to be on my screen in a minute no you're not you'll be fine I am but, man you I have met her an extra time because I did the book club the be sober book club with her so I do oh, feel yeah, quite relaxed well we're, we're all right we're okay we've actually got Eight more minutes yet before she's a fucking <laughs> So oh, she's right. early. She's early. She's early. She's early. She wants to be here, but breathe, breathe. But anyway, Claire's first book, The Sober Diaries. If you've not read it and you are already sober, then where have you been? If you haven't read it and you are sober curious, please start there. It's an amazing, amazing oh, yeah. memoir. She's she's such a lovely person and so down to earth as well with it. And there's some really funny moments in her book. Proper funny moments, like yeah. where you actually I laughed out. Loud I on laughed my out loud. Box, listening to it, I just loved it. And in fact, I might read it again. But I'm not sure how we're going to kind of get into. T- I'll be honest, I'm not sure how we're going to get into today's conversation because we're not really going to focus on talking about the sober diaries. I don't think, unless Claire takes it there. I have no clue. I'm just here for the ride. Oh, God, <laughs> no pressure, Alex. No pressure. <laughs> right, I'm feeling more comfortable to talk a little bit before we go into Claire's interview about these personality tests that we've both. Oh, done. for goodness' sakes! Right, I hated mine. I just want you to know. I'm going to put that out there. I, I said earlier, I'm not talking about it because I think it makes me look like an arrogant pig. Maybe I am an arrogant <laughs> pig. I don't understand why you think that. Is it relatable? I'm not saying it's an arrogant pig relatable. (laughs) Because I feel really bad in saying this now, right? But I did this personality test. Somebody put it on our Be Sober group and I thought it was absolutely amazing. Like I read mine and related to it so, so much. And it's got little pictures as well on it. So the pictures were just so typical of me at a desk with coffee made in the sky thinking of something next to do and a little boy with a rocket. It was accurate for me, right? It, it was accurate, but that's why oh. I don't like it. That's why I don't like it. I don't actually like that I am defensive, that everything's so black and white, that everything has to have rules. And when I read yours, you don't like rules. So there's no wonder we come to clashes sometimes because... Oh, I I know. Well, this is what I said, isn't it? I was like, I sent you the link and I was like, Alex, do this because I feel (laughs) if we read each other's, we might be able to learn more about each other and know how each other work because we work together amazingly and we do actually... We're getting so good that like we had a conversation the other day and we were saying, right, let's not take it personally. This is how I feel. This is how you feel. Blah, blah. And we're doing amazing at actually We're doing far better at communicating than we ever have in our lives. And I'm so proud of us because, you know, it's not easy, I don't think, working with with family or your best friend or, you know, no wonder I get anxious. I work with my family and my best friend. They do say business and pleasure shouldn't mix and you've just got everything really mixed. I know. But according to your personality test, you don't live by the rules, so that's fine. Well, this is true, but you know my mum and Beth, they got the number eight and they were both something like 
something control. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got a stickler for the rules on one job. And then these two controlling me on another job. You know, you know what I didn't like with mine? And it's because it really rings true. It's because it is actually true that it's about being right. A lot of the time right, when I say something, I'm thinking, knew I were right. Even if I'm not right, yeah, I knew I'd be right. <laughs> Do yeah, yeah, and I don't like that about myself. So I'm trying to change that anyway. Yeah, so hearing it out loud that I am righteous is just I am righteous. Is that what it said? I, I read yours, and I swear to God, You're I was laughing. like, that that is her all over every single bit of it. Yeah, well, I read I, yours like and the same. I know. I agreed. I agreed. Maybe like I've just had more time coming to terms with like my things. I knew. I already knew what it'd say. I already knew it'd say I'm very black and white and I live by the rules and I have to be right. And and I beat myself up inside when things go wrong and I'm defensive if somebody gives me criticism. These are things I know. I don't want a fucking survey telling me. I already know. (laughs) <laughs> what was yours called? Mine was called um, I'm an Enthusiastic Visionary. Mine was I'm a twat. No, it wasn't. No, it was. <laughs> no, it was not. But as soon as I saw that, like, I'm ridiculously enthusiastic sometimes, and I like even the word enthusiastic. What, you like, say the self- about po- you can be accused of toxic positivity, yours said as well. And I was like, yeah, sometimes. Oh, see, sound- done that sure, because like I've completely not even seen that bit. It, it did says- say something about sobriety, though, which I loved. Oh, I love that Alex has been, you've been looking for my bad bits. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have to be right. I loved mine. Because <laughs> I have to be right. Mine says I'm a strict perfectionist. Strict perfectionist. Yeah, it, it's true. That, it's that true. is you. Can't believe yeah, I've used so much bad language in the intro. I told you I wasn't comfortable with this. Anyway, let's just give um, Claire. Yeah, a, li- a little bit of a formal introduction. Most people will know who she is, but let just can I just say, on. actually, first, I haven't even seen one tiny bit where it said toxic positivity. I've probably made it up. <laughs> I, think, I actually think you have. It says I'm optimistic. It, it says I'm, it be a cute, I'm sure I read somewhere that it said this person optimistic, be a flexible, future orientated, practical, and adventurous. Well, they're the key word bits out there. Oh, I don't know. You introduce Claire while I have a little look. Because oh, she's got to be right. So, <laughs> no, I, I genuinely don't know whether I have just imagined that, to be fair. Oh, I reckon you have. I could have done. Right. Anyway, let's introduce the very lovely, talented, wonderful Claire Pooley. I literally cannot wait for this. And I'm sorry if you don't hear me again now. It's just that I'm sat here in awe, staring at the screen, not knowing what to say. Um, So, yeah, let's get Claire in. Hi, Claire. Hi, guys. The office is looking lovely, Claire. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, this is my, it's, it's still, it's not finished yet. It hasn't got very much furniture in it, but it's getting there. So, you know, oh, I love all your Christmas decorations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Have you managed to take full ownership of the office? Because last time we spoke at the Be Sober Book Club, you were saying that you were trying to get your stamp on it and make sure it remained your room. So the question of the day is, have you managed to claim full ownership of the <laughs> office? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants to be here now. It's so pretty. <laughs> it is lovely. So we last time we had you on, it was 
probably a couple of years ago now when we first started and we were just talking in our intro we were both especially Lisa really nervous about having you on like we'd both read your book and you know you, you were like this guru to us you still are by the way just so you know um so we were both incredibly nervous and we were hoping we do you a bit more justice on this one and feel a bit more relaxed now we're not going to focus on sober diaries although we have had a big chat about it but we wanted to talk a little bit about the obstacle course now lisa raves and shares your obstacle course blog everywhere don't you oh thank you lisa weekly i think i do it you know especially in our members groups when people are talking about and about the repeated day ones I just think it is written so, it, it's everything. It says everything. And it stopped me so many times from going back to that day one and picking up a drink. And I think it's so corny. Well, it's not actually. But when I walk, and I think I said this to you last time, but when I walk the dog, there's actually a field by the canal and these real life bunnies in it. And I'm like, oh my God, I am oh, there. Wow. <laughs> you, know, you know people send me little bunny emojis you know quite frequently <laughs> they go I found the field of bunnies <laughs> it is I remember doing it and thinking and like and, and the feeling of being so proud and happy in my sobriety and actually seeing them real life bunnies like I, I've found it I've actually found it so thank, <laughs> thank you so much for that oh, and from our members as well because it genuinely just help them so much sorry Alex you can ask the question now <laughs> I don't really have one anymore because it's just been kind of covered but I was basically going to ask you about that blog because obviously you wrote that it went into the book as well didn't it but you wrote that as a blog and where did that kind of inspiration was it experience was it something somebody had said where did that inspiration come from oh well at that stage so I wrote that when I was about seven or eight months sober and um and I I just got to that point where I could sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel and you know I thought for the first time I I think I can do this forever and ever and ever um and and it was just such a joyful feeling and at the same time I was being my blogger was sort of taking off and had gone slightly viral and there were more and more people joining the conversation and and there were a number of people that had followed me and I followed them for you know for months and months and and I got to this point of you know joy and there were a number of people that I was in contact with who I was seeing going back to the beginning over and over and over again and I just didn't know how to explain to them you know what what they were doing and 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 how how things could be um and that's really where that blog post came from i thought well no how can i explain how this feels and because i'd done that i'd done that going back to the beginning over and over again i'd done it endlessly and and then i i got through it so i wanted to find some way of explaining what it feels like when you do eventually make it to the other side yeah do you think it happens at the same sort of point for everyone or is it definitely varied in your experience um oh i don't know what you guys think but um you know i i find there are some really key points on the journey generally um you know and everybody obviously is different but but some of the key stages seem to be 
I think three weeks is the hardest physical bit, you know, the, that sort of, you know, feeling really knackered and brain fog and headaches and not being able to sleep properly. You know, some of those physical things, so those those generally take about three weeks to, to get through. And then 100 days, I, I believe, is, is when things start getting easier. Um, and if you talk to... You know, so many people I've spoken to say 100 days is, is you know, where, where the things start turning around, you know. And then yeah. I get to about, you know, six to eight months. That's, that's when you can find you suddenly spend a whole day not thinking about alcohol, which is a miraculous thing. I mean, do those timings fit with your experience as well? I'd say so, yeah. And, and, and like you've just said, kind of around the six-month mark, I remember thinking, oh, I haven't thought about alcohol today. And obviously then I thought about alcohol, but like being excited that I've not thought about it all day. Um, so, yeah, I'd say so. We've actually got members um, who just uh, who say, I want to get to 100 days because Claire says that's when it is. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're not disappointed when they get there because it is such a gradual thing and the changes are really you know small and and 100 days isn't a miraculous turnaround it's just the point at which things generally tend to start getting easier um but it's an as you know it's an ongoing process <laughs> but i do think what i do think is that the um the whole dry january sober october thing is fabulous and and i really encourage anyone who wants to take a month off alcohol to to give it a go but it is the hardest bit you know you're doing the hardest month and you're not doing enough to actually get to the good bit so if all you're doing is dry January and sober October you must you come away from that thinking god this is a miserable way to live yeah. <laughs> because it is a miserable way to live after a month it's, it only starts becoming joyful after three so fully agree and this episode will actually go out on the second week of January so it's perfect to talk about you know that kind of impact and we were actually saying before about I never managed a dry January I didn't ever see the point in a dry January um Lisa said that dry January no no thanks and and I think it's what you've just said you know you get to the end of it and you think oh I'm just gonna I I can't wait I'm gonna have a drink again and we, Mm -hmm. we hear so many people who say well that was just a tough month but it really is that also not doing the work because everybody else is everybody else is dry or many other people are dry on that month so you don't really do the self-development work you kind of the end goal is to have a drink again (laughs) yeah and and i think the one of the things i think is the most depressing about about my drinking years is the way i just wish so much of my life away because i set all these rules for myself constantly and I did the sort of you know I'm not going to drink during the week or I'm not going to drink when I'm on my own or I'm not going to drink at home you know all that sort of stuff I spent the whole time thinking oh when is it going to be Friday or when am I going to go out again or when am I going to see somebody I can drink with and and I, I wished away so much of my life waiting for the point where it was all going to be fun again and I feel dry January is a bit like that you know I actually really love dry January now because because everybody is sort of you know embracing the whole sober thing and I don't feel like I'm quite such an outlier um but I'm not wishing it away anymore I'm not thinking I can't wait to get to February I'm I'm sort of making the most of my January and the sort of R&R time and the cozying up with a family and all that sort of stuff We'll get back to our chat shortly, but first let's tell you about our friends at Wise Bartender. 
So Wise Bartender has the biggest selection of alcohol-free drinks in the world. And this week, we got to try the Crafty Nectar Cider. So this Crafty Nectar Cider is actually gluten-free and suitable for vegans. It's won two stars at the 2020 Great Taste Awards, and they actually plant a tree for every single case of cider bought. So I already love it, and I don't even like cider. What do you, you liked think? that one, though, didn't you? You did like the taste of that one for a cider. Yeah, I think I struggled with the smell because cider in in general, I, I don't like because I had it when I was a kid, but actually I found it really light and apple I liked it and I liked that it didn't taste like an apple juice. To me, it tasted like a cider, it smelled like a cider, it felt like a cider. So I thought I'd test it out and I'd get my sister to also taste it and tell me what she thought and she said honestly if you'd have put it in front of her and not told it was alcohol free she wouldn't have been able to tell so it's a thumbs up from me on that one and a thumbs up from me <laughs> so you can buy this and more at wisebartender.co.uk don't forget to use your code bsober 5 for a cheeky 5% discount is there anything at all Claire you miss at all about drinking uh yeah um there's, I, I think there's two two occasions where I still occasionally have that thought of, oh, I quite like a drink right now. Um, and it's really rare and it's very fleeting and I know it's not worth it. So it's never anything that I ever think I'm going to action. But one is when I have some really great news and, you know, you think, oh, I need something that I need something yeah. celebrating right now. And and I tend to eat cake in that situation. But cake doesn't feel quite special enough. You know, in the old days, I go out and get trashed, you know. Um, and so, you know, I, I try and find different ways of celebrating. So I might book a pedicure or a haircut or, um, you know, or go out and meet a friend and do something. Uh, but it's not as quick and easy as pouring a drink. Um, and... I mean, it's much better for you. <laughs> so, so, you know, celebrating is a really big thing. I, I have that fleeting thought. Um, and the other time that I still sometimes think, oh, a drink would be nice, is if I'm going to a really big party where I don't know many people and I'm feeling nervous. You know, when you having a drink just takes the edge off that sort of fear and trepidation. Um, and, you know, I find, again, it's very fleeting because within half an hour of being there, I'm absolutely fine. But it is that moment where you think, oh, I could really do with a, a, a sort of crutch to get through this next sort of 15, 20 minutes. It's funny, I, I used to think I was an extrovert and now I wonder whether I was an introvert and just got drunk. <laughs> So common that, and Lisa, you come. I bet you can fully relate to that. Oh, massively re relate. Only last week, actually, we had gone out to an awards ceremony, hadn't we? Yeah. And it was the first time in ages I was so aware that that would be, <coughs> excuse me, that that would be a time that I would drink. And I said to Alex on the night, like, this is when I would buy people shots because I'm so uncomfortable being here and I'm aware of how tall I am and how I'm sat and that, and I was cold as well. <laughs> but it, that was the first time that I really thought, and I didn't want one because I've learned so much about it now yeah. and I've read your amazing book. So 
Um, but yeah, I was very aware of it. And like what you said, I always thought I was extrovert. And yeah. Alex and I had this conversation the other day. We had a Christmas party, a Be Sober Christmas party. And Alex always says, oh, I'm the unsociable one. And we got there and I actually thought, She's so not. It's me. If anybody <laughs> out of both of us, no, I was like, splitting oh, around, meeting everyone. <laughs> oh yeah, she was loving it, and all I kept thinking was, I can't wait. And I loved seeing everybody, but I just really wanted to go home, <laughs> like the whole time. So I'm definitely um, more introverted, I think. Yeah, but you, you know what I always remind myself in those circumstances is, in the old days, if I'd gone to that sort of party and I felt nervous, I would have drunk before I left because yeah. I gave myself the confidence to go in the first place and then when I arrived I would have knocked back you know a few drinks in quick succession to take the edge off and I would have been really drunk by about halfway through and then I would have really embarrassed myself by you know I don't know saying the wrong thing to the wrong person sort of repeating the same things over and over again you know all that sort of and and the next day I would have woken up feeling really miserable about it so 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 I know you know I genuinely know it's much better for me not to drink it's it's a you know it's just that it's that adjustment phase I don't think think I have social anxiety anymore. I I always did think I had social anxiety, but I don't. My only wave of wanting to drink comes in the warm weather and if I've got loud music on. Oh, interesting. That's it. Loud music comes on and immediately washes over me is I'd love a drink. And then I go, no, I wouldn't. You know, it's that. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's just your subconscious sort of, you know, going back to old habits. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to handle, though, I think. Sorry, Lisa, what were you going to ask? I was just going to ask Claire what um, her thoughts are on moderating alcohol. Oh, you know what? If you can do it, then fine. You know, all power to your elbow. <laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> I've never heard that you. ever. <laughs> um, I love that expression. Um, it's so cool. I'm going to use it. <laughs> so, uh, so if you can, I, you know, then then that's great. My husband can moderate, and um, you know, my so far my kids seem to be able to do it, but uh, but I just couldn't, and I, I can't really moderate many things, uh, and that's you know that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think I genuinely think there are two sorts of people in the world. There are people who are good at moderating and there are people who are all or nothing. And you know, I'm all or nothing and I'm all or nothing about a whole load of stuff. Um and some of that is a really good thing. You know, I think it makes me a sort of, you know, a it, it means that I'm a, a great friend and I'm a, you know, I'm a hopefully I'm a great mum and you know because I throw myself into everything 100%. But it's not good when it comes to alcohol. <laughs> and, uh, something I, I think is quite important is if you if you want to quit drinking, I think you genuinely need to believe that moderating is not an option before yeah. you can do it. Because otherwise, um, you know, the times I've tried to quit before, when I fell off the wagon, it was because I ended up with that thought going round and round in my head and it would say, you know, you've been sober for X number of weeks or X number of months and you're better now. You know, you've reset the dial. You you know better. You're wiser. You're sort of, you're, you're never going to get yourself into that position again. Now you can moderate and you can drink sensibly and that's the kind of person that you're going to be. 
And and I would, so I would, you know, drink a glass of wine and it'd be fine. I stop after one. I think, hey, I can do it. I can moderate. <laughs> and then two weeks later, I'd have do the same thing again, but this time I drink two glasses. And then a few days later, I'd drink a bottle. And after about a month, I'd be back to where I started, but worse. And um and I but I think you need to go through that process a few times until you are genuinely sure that moderation is not an option uh, because otherwise that voice will always win in the end do you, do you know what I mean do you agree yeah I fully agree I, I used to um I, I never actually tried to cut down my drinking ever because I genuinely thought I only drank Friday Saturday and sometimes Sunday sometimes Thursday but as a rule Friday Saturday <laughs> um, and and that was okay but what I did do was which I guess is similar is oh I'm not going to drink I'm not going to drink both nights on the weekend or, oh, I'm not going to drink for two weeks. And I think that is almost a, a moderation conversation. Never worked. Never, never worked. And I never really, you know, I'd wake up Monday morning and say never again. I'd be back buying wine Thursday. Um, yeah, and so. and the, reason, the reason it's so damaging doing that, and I did that for years. I did that trying to moderate for years before I finally quit. And the reason it's really damaging is it makes you hate yourself because yeah. you, just lose, you lose your self-respect because when you're always, when you spend your whole life setting yourself rules that you can't stick to, <laughs> you yeah. know, it makes you feel like a total failure and it makes you feel really weak and useless. And, and that's not a good way to, to live, you know, feeling like that about yourself. So it's best just to take it out of the whole equation. Yeah, I agree. You, true. You used to drink um, Beck's Blue, didn't you, as your favourite <laughs> AF drink? Is that well, still it? No, it isn't actually. It was <laughs> the only alcohol-free beer that was. Oh, right, okay. So, so I quit drinking in 2015, and there were really few alcohol-free alternatives to anything around. So I don't think Seedlip had even launched, or if it had, I hadn't heard of it yet. Um, I, I discovered Seedlip, you know, I think six months or so in. Um, and Bex Blue, I found quite early on, uh, but it was always on the bottom shelf covered in dust. <laughs> and you had to find, try really hard to find it. So when I found it, I'd like buy a whole crate. <laughs> and I was totally dependent on it for some time. Um, but but funnily enough, you know, it was what was so great about it is is that I could drink it without all those those thoughts going, go on, have one more. <laughs> you know? yeah. So yeah. Um, so, so yeah, Bex Blue was was a real saviour for me. But now my favourite alcohol free beers are um, I love Heineken Zero. Yeah, oh, I like we that. do the standard. And have you come across Lucky Saint? No, but you know what? One of our ambassadors at the weekend ordered Lucky Saint at the Christmas party and she said that was one of her favourites as well. Yeah, I've only discovered it recently, but um, it's they stock it in a number of restaurants and things now and it's really, really good. Um, so, yeah, Lucky Saint is my my new favourite. You've tried it, Lisa. I do no. dog as well. I, I love, um, I'm not going to do the spoiler, but at the end, towards the end of Claire's book, she goes to Cornwall and let's say that she has a, a moment with a Bex Blue. Is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that vividly still. Um, <laughs> I was, when I was going through, because I got breast cancer, as you know, so eight months after I quit drinking and 
Bex Blue really got me through that. You know, I, there were days when you know I would drink sort of five or six Bex Blues just to, you know, because there was. I, I think what it does. I mean, actually, we should caveat all of this, shouldn't we? Because some people find alcohol-free drinks really triggering, and and if you do, just steer away from them. Um, and some people will find that if they drink an alcohol-free beer, all it does is make them want the real thing. And if that happens to you, there's just you know, just just uh, just stay away from it um, and drink sort of kombucha or sparkling water or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I never found that. I never found that it made me want the real beer. But what it did was it just tricked my subconscious into chilling out a bit because I was so used to associating the look and taste of alcohol with relaxation that I was. It still did the same thing for me. So I drink a an alcohol free beer and I still and I get that feeling of okay. I feel a little bit. Yeah better now um and uh and i think that i don't get that so much anymore because i think those associations have gone now i just drink it because i like the taste and it's yes. more interesting than drinking water yeah. <laughs> can we delve a little bit claire without being too personal and, and intrusive about that breast cancer diagnosis that you got because you know lisa and i had some incredibly tough times in our first year that could have led us back to drinking. But, you know, that that was a real biggie for you. And how did it impact your sobriety or your thoughts on sobriety? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm so... I, I, I'm not a really superstitious sort of spiritual person, but I do, I do quite often feel like that timing really wasn't coincidental because, yeah. you know, I... I wonder whether somehow, some somewhere in my subconscious, I knew that my body was sort of was going wrong somewhere, and and that maybe that's why I felt the urge to quit drinking when I did. Um, and and I also think it's just kind of miraculous that I only discovered I had breast cancer when I've been already been sober eight months because. If I if I discovered that earlier on, I'm not sure I could have stayed on the wagon. I it, it was only because I got it was very soon after I wrote the the the, the um, obstacle course. Um, wow! That, that I I discovered I had breast cancer, so it, I was at the point where things had started getting easier, and and it, uh, you know it was it was no longer on my mind the whole time. I was feeling really great. I was feeling you know amazing. I was feeling physically you know really fit as well and and you know it it was only because it had been that long that that I think I was I was okay and I just I just knew I knew deep down that alcohol wasn't going to help I knew that what would happen if I got I knew that if I started drinking I wouldn't be able to stop um yeah because it would just take let the genie out of the bottle, you know, and I wasn't in a state to be strong. So I knew that if I had just one sip, that would be it. And and I knew that if I got drunk, I would cry in front of the children. I knew that I would that everything I you know everything would just fall to bits immediately. And and I just had this really strong sense that that the only way I could be strong enough to get through it was to be sober, which is really weird because only a few months earlier, I would have thought the only way I could get through it was to be drunk. 
It's so strange, Claire. Yeah, I look back at my first year and honestly, I am so grateful that I didn't drink in that time because I genuinely would have been an absolute mess. (laughs) I really would. And I think we have so many members that come to us. And I know you said before that you're not kind of... woo or spiritual in any way but I do feel like a lot of the members that we have they come to us and they're kind of getting sober and then the shit really hits the fan for them at home and I feel really bad because I think oh I kind of saw this coming (laughs) do you know what I mean and I think it happens to so many people and I think you and your book and how you dealt with that really does actually give people strength to know that they don't need a drink to get get through things like that. I just think it's such a tough time, but like you say, alcohol doesn't help at all, does it? And it wouldn't. No, well, it, it doesn't help mentally or physically. Yeah. Know? With breast cancer, with any cancer, actually, alcohol is like pouring, you know, petrol onto flames. Yeah. So, so it really wouldn't have helped me physically. And the idea of coping with what I was already coping with, with a hangover on top, was yeah. really, really scary. And yeah, I mean, I just, I, yeah, I just, I just couldn't have done it. You really need to, you know, when something like that happens, you need to have all your energy and all your strength and all of your mental clarity and alcohol doesn't help with any of that at all. I'm, I'm actually, I'm so grateful that I was sober before the pandemic because... Oh, yeah, me too. I would have I would have gone through the cupboards and thrown out all the loo roll and pasta and replaced it with <laughs> alcohol. And I would have been in a constant stress about am I going to be able to get hold of, of you know my wine or my whatever. Um, and and I would have spent the whole time with a hangover and and just feeling the um yeah, it would have been awful. And, and obviously you wouldn't have achieved nearly as much as you have done without your sobriety anyway. Obviously the Sober Diaries being your first book would never have existed and then you've gone on to write two further novels. So The Authenticity Project, which is our um, book club special this month for people reading it. Um, and you're about to debut The People on Platform 5, is that right, in the UK? That's right, yeah, yeah. That comes So that comes out in May, end of May. Um, and I'm just at the proofreading stage now, so so it's feeling sort of real. Um, so so yeah, and no, I wouldn't have done any of that because <laughs> we, you know, I, I, I've, people think that the first year of quitting drink is is the really transformative one, and it, it is in many ways. It's it's I, I find that that first year is when people do all the internal work. So. You know, you get to know yourself and you get to know your triggers and you get to know, um, you get to learn to deal with emotions for the first time in years, probably. And all of those things that are really, really important. And it's all very internally focused. And then you get to the end of the first year and you sort of start looking outwards again. And you think, okay, suddenly I've got all this time. I've got all this energy. Um, and but I've got this sort of big hole in my life that used to be filled with booze and all the things that go with it. And what am I going to do to fill that hole? And actually, the 
second year is where people's lives often start looking incredibly different and people discover new relationships or new careers or new hobbies and um you know for me it was writing and and it's yeah it's my new it's my new everything it's my new career it's my new hobby it's my new way of of relaxing it's my new therapy you know all of those things and you're amazing did you know you could (laughs) sorry did you know you could write Claire was it something that you was interested in doing before um, yeah, you know, I, I love writing when I was little, you know, when I was a teenager, I used to write, I used to write um, uh, short stories and send them to magazines. And they oh, wow. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I always love writing, but I just, I never had the confidence to do anything about it all the time, all the energy, all the creativity and alcohol sort of numbs all of that, I think. Um, and, and I think alcohol also makes you very for me anyway, it made me very nervous because whenever I was scared about something, I'd have a drink. So I never got used to dealing with fear until I got sober. And and when I got sober and then I got cancer, I really had to, it was like a masterclass in dealing with fear. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and so coming out the other end, you know, and cover your ears if, if anyone who's listening who doesn't like swearing, but I, um, oh, it's a bit late for that, Claire. You should have heard me in the <laughs> intro. <laughs> well, I, I sort of, I discovered a fuck it button, you know, and and yeah. I sort of, you know, I thought, well, um, I, I'd really like to, to write, but probably nobody will buy it and they'll all laugh at me and they'll all think it's useless. But fuck it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what's the worst that can happen? Um, and uh, yeah, and that that for me was, was you know, one of the best things I learned is is how to, to operate outside your comfort zone. Um, alcohol keeps us in our comfort zone and our comfort zone gets smaller and smaller and smaller and until the only thing that you're comfortable with is staying at home and having a drink and that's an awful 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 place to be so um so yeah to answer a long answer to your question I had always wanted to do it but I never would have done if I hadn't quit drinking and actually I know I'm rambling here but um I found with so many people that the the um clue as to what you can fill that hole with lies in your childhood Uh, yeah because when we're, we're children and teenagers, um, we often have, you know, amazing passions and hobbies that then get forgotten. And people, you know, maybe it's sport or maybe it's painting or maybe it's computers or yoga or, you know, one any number of things. And, and then life gets in the way and then drinking gets in the way. And so many people actually end up rediscovering those childhood passions because, you know, that's the clue as to what will make your heart sing is what made so your heart sing then. So true. Completely. Both of us relate to that. And we've reignited like old hobbies and things like that we loved doing as children that you forget about. Can, mm. can I can I just have one more delve into the new book? Just one more. Can you give us a tiny bit of a scoop on it? <laughs> on the people on platform five? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so the um, the main character, or one of the main characters. So there are five main characters. So a bit like the Authenticity Project, it goes from one character to the next. But one of the main ones is called Iona Iverson. Um, so the book actually in the US is called Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting. 
Um, and she is 57 years old and she she describes herself as an it as, as a past it girl who used to be an it girl. <laughs> so, um, and uh, she's a um, uh, an agony aunt for, for a magazine. And she knows that she's about to be fired because she's the oldest person in the office by about two decades. Um, and she takes the same train to, to work every day and the same train back. And she sees the same people on the train over and over again, but she never talks to them um, because people don't talk on the train. You know? <laughs> that would be sort of weird. Um, and then one day, one of them, who she calls smart but sexist Surbiton, um, chokes on a grape and another one gives him the Heimlich manoeuvre and saves his life. And that sort of act gets this group of people talking and they start to know each other and then amazing things start to happen so so yeah so that's that's the sort of the basic oh i want more it felt like a story i, time like that then. Then. I, I, I did really love that can oh, i just yeah. say as well claire um you've just totally reinvented the fuck it button for me because i used to see that as a, an excuse to drink you know like oh fuck it i'll go out and drink and you've literally just reinvented it today for me and i love it like well, instead great. use it for fear like for, i love that so thank you <laughs> um you know and now i i can't believe i i spent so much of my life scared because you know, honestly, what is the worst that can happen? You know, it's there is there are so few occasions where the potential downside is anything more than embarrassment and you know just just wasting some time. Um, so so yeah, I can't believe I spent years and years not doing things just in case they didn't work. <laughs> I know. And now look, you sat there in your beautiful office with your own real life books behind you. Well, like <laughs> my kids call this my ego bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> because everything on it I wrote. <laughs> I do have other bookshelves with other people's books on, by the way. It's not, not just <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so before we go, Claire, every guest gets asked this same question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it to Lisa because I know she likes asking this question more than I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so our be sober motto is be brave, be kind, be sober. And what we want to know is which do you relate to most right now and why? Oh, I think given the conversation we've just had, <laughs> I know. Have to be be brave. Um, because for me that is just as transformative as being sober and the two things go together. Um, so yeah, I would say be brave, develop that fuck it button. <laughs> Love it. Rebranded one. Um, not not the original. <laughs> yeah, not the original one. <laughs> Ignore that version. <laughs> and uh, and that's the way amazing things happen. Oh, honestly, Claire, this has been such a pleasure and you're always so giving to us. Thank you so much for coming on and for the work you've done for the book club with us. We're ever so grateful and we just think you're amazing. So thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Well, I think you guys are amazing too. And, you know, the community that you've created is just such a fabulous resource and you always make me smile and, you know, um, yeah, spending time with you guys is like a real tonic. So thank you. 
Oh, oh thank you, Claire. On. I'm super jealous, by the way, as well. I saw your picture of you having um, coffee with Sober Dave the other day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spotted that. I was like, oh, I wish we could be there. <laughs> oh, well, we'll along next time. So that I was know. Awesome, actually. So, have, you met, have you ever met Sober Dave's wife as well? Yeah, yeah, virtually. Virtually. Yeah, she is. She is really lovely too. So uh, you know, they're 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 fabulous. I've met some really great people through through the whole sober community, as as I know you have. I mean, it's yeah. Uh, there's you know, they're coming back to that thing about all or nothing people. You know, people ex ex addicts. I think are some of the most interesting people I ever come across. It's rare to meet an ex-addict who doesn't have something interesting to say in my, in my experience. Absolutely. <laughs> Salt of the earth, as they'd, as they'd say around here. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you so much, Claire. It's been really, really lovely. Oh, it's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much for having me on again. <laughs> See you again soon. Bye, Claire. Big thanks to Wise Bartender for sponsoring this episode. If you're experimenting with different alcohol-free drinks and don't want to buy a whole case, Wise Bartender honestly has the largest selection of single bottles ever. So you can have lots of fun trying loads of different drinks or even buy one of their special gift packs. Don't forget to use your 5% discount code BSOBER5 at wisebartender.co.uk. And if you want to find out more about the work we do or you want to join our amazing community here at Be Sober, you can find out more on our website www.besoberofficial.com. Until next time, be brave, be kind and be sober.